Welcome market participants. Another three things in credit. I'm Van Hesser, Chief Strategist at KBRA. Each week we bring you three things impacting credit markets that we think you should know about. I'm sure you'll be delighted to know that this week's discussion will be free of anything having to do with Will Smith. All right, this week our three things are, earnings are normalizing. That means weakening. We'll explore what that means for credit. Two, moving to late cycle. So why are spreads tightening? And three, yield curve inversion. Does it really matter? Let's dig a bit deeper. Earnings are normalizing. So we've talked a lot about normalizing, moving past the stimulus-fueled conditions made necessary by the pandemic. More specifically, if we take the three things that support risk assets, corporate profits, liquidity, and sentiment, all three are normalizing. That means that all three are weakening since all three benefited greatly from stimulus. That direction of travel has always been a bit problematic for risk, even if we start from a position of strength. And that's especially true if price, the other side of the equation, is historically stretched. Now, the first thing to notice is negative guidance. It's up. Again, in the current quarter, Firms revising EPS guidance lower than the estimate account for 69% of those companies in the S&P 500 that have revised guidance up or down, according to FactSet. Three quarters ago, only 36% of revisionists lowered their earnings guidance. Interestingly, year-over-year earnings growth for the group is forecast to be up 5.8%, which has drifted a bit lower from the peak of that estimate. 6.7% at year-end. Growth rates had been running at quite healthy double-digit levels the past three quarters. Now, for full year 2022 and 2023, analysts are looking for 8% and 9.3% year-over-year growth in the S&P 500, respectively. That at a time when real GDP growth is expected to slow from 3.5% in 2022 to 2.3% in 2023. That's hard to square from our perspective. In any event, three anecdotal earnings reports with off-calendar fiscal years, including investment bank Jefferies, online pet supply supermarket Chewy, and high-end home furnisher RH, the old restoration hardware, came out this week, and there is some interesting insight into what's ahead. Jefferies, whose quarters span December, January, and February, saw pre-tax income in the quarter fall 51% from the year-ago period, with significant downdrafts in equity underwriting, equity and fixed income sales and trading. Management acknowledged that the, quote, challenging trading environment caused by the anticipated change in Fed policy that existed in December and January and exacerbated by the even more difficult capital market conditions that began in February with the onset of the invasion of Ukraine, unquote. It warned that new issue markets are clearly more sensitive to the increase in volatility, and its investment banking backlog is sensitive to market conditions. The read across to larger markets-oriented banks, set to report later in April for the months of January, February, and March, is not good. Chewy stock sold off as much as 16% on its earning and revenue misses this past week in what management dubbed a, quote, highly challenging operating environment, unquote. 
I bet you didn't know there's a lot of common ground between an investment bank and a pet supply company, but both agreed that the environment was challenging. Supply chain woes left its virtual shelves underfilled and its labor, product, and shipping costs higher. We've been warned that this was likely to happen, and here is evidence. All right, Chewy won't be the only victim here. It's worth noting that the company is seeing improvements in labor availability, inbound shipping costs, and pricing. But ultimately, management believes most of these challenges are not permanent in nature. Ah, a member of Team Transitory. And then there's RH. This one you would do yourself a service to listen to this call. One analyst thanked the CEO for the, quote, the somewhat brutal honesty, unquote. The company beat its earnings estimate but missed a touch on revenue. But what really caused a stir was the CEO's frustration with the environment, from supply chain kinks to runaway housing prices to the Fed and Treasury missing inflation guidance to Russia invading Ukraine. The latter was the event that has become a distraction that is causing, in his words, a 10 to 12 point slowing in his business. On supply chains, he said, everybody thinks supply chains are getting better. I don't think we've gotten better at all. He warned that high prices are going to outrun the consumer. Through it all, the stock ended up 13% lower. Cautionary tales, indeed. All right, on to our second thing, moving into late cycle. We spoke a quarter ago on where we thought we were in the credit cycle, and we concluded that we thought we were still mid-cycle, but we're moving through it. After all, the jobs market was tight, the growth outlook was still fairly robust, margins were wide, cash on corporate balance sheets was abundant, and competition was intense but not irrational. And the Fed had not yet begun its tightening cycle. A fair amount has changed. Today, recession probabilities are rising. Consumer and commercial sentiment is sinking on much higher-than-expected inflation, political dysfunction, and war breaking out in Europe. Housing and investment portfolios are flattening out, if not rolling over, and the yield curve has flattened out or inverted. And the Fed has not only begun to tighten, but it has turned super hawkish, at least in terms of its more recent rhetoric. Corporate restructuring activity is quite active as the outlook for growth and margin is dimming. Stagflation has re-entered our lexicon. One thing that looked more like late cycle than mid-cycle a month ago was credit spreads, which had widened out, capturing those headwinds of still slower growth, still higher inflation, and greater uncertainty, all brought on by the war. So why have spreads snapped back in to levels more characteristic of mid-cycle conditions? We would answer that question with three noteworthy points. One fundamental, and too technical. The fundamental point is that consumers and businesses are, for the most part, approaching a more negative environment from a position of strength. Jobs are plentiful. Household balance sheets have been bolstered by strong gains in housing and investment portfolio values. Businesses have been enjoying strong demand, which has led to strong margins. Highly accommodative financial conditions have enabled them to strengthen their balance sheets. All of this figures to keep default rates from spiking. The technical points are that new issue supply is normalizing, i.e. shrinking, and entry points are much more palatable today than they have been. And those things make a difference. All right, on to our third thing, yield curve mania. Yes, we know yield curves are inverting. 
And yes, every recession from 1955 has been preceded by a yield curve inversion with only one false positive, that in the mid-1960s, when the economy slowed but managed to stay out of recession. A simple rule of thumb, according to the Federal Reserve Bank of San Francisco, is to expect a recession within two years of when the curve inverts. Thanks for that. Two years. A lot can happen within two years. In the past four inversions, stocks on average rose 29% from the date of inversion to its peak. That speaks to our previous discussion on where we are in the credit cycle. Investors are typically bowled up traveling through the mid-cycle and well into the late cycle before acknowledging the party's over. Credit spreads, needless to say, are not going to widen when stocks are soaring. There's also plenty of reason to question the signaling power of the Treasury market when it has become massively distorted by design since the global financial crisis, as quantitative easing and endless speeches by FOMC members have become the Fed's favorite tool in the toolkit. Further factors complicating predictive nature of the yield curve is what are still extremely low yields overseas. The point is, you have significant forces at play that are at work across the yield curve that, quite frankly, undermine the value of it as a predictor of what's ahead. So there you have it. Three things in credit. One, earnings are normalizing. Anecdotal evidence suggests the earnings slowdown might be stronger than expected. Two, moving to late cycle. What's different this time is default risk coming into a more treacherous phase is unusually low. And three, yield curve inversion. We just don't see the need to panic. As always, thanks for joining us. Don't forget to check in on KBRA.com for our latest research and ratings reports. See you next week.